the nudge. Are we uh, are we live? Yeah, let's go live. Let's say nudge episode four, talking with Victoria Hood, aka Tori. Tori, you got a pen name. I do, Lily. It's my real name, I guess, but um, yeah, Tori that's... is my full name. Cool. Isn't that so weird when somebody uses their full name as their pen name, but it feels it feels like something different because mm-hmm. yeah. you never call them that. My cousin does similar. She's an Ariel, uh, middle name Ariel, and it lends her uh, it lends her work. I think some uh, she says degree of like escape, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I have thought about the idea of escape with like pseudonyms, you know, or or um, what what I guess you would just call it a pen name, um, but. I read an article by uh, what is that famous Italian author who writes those? Um, Calvino. No, not Calvino. It, it's a it's a woman. Um, she she wrote my bri- my, my brilliant friend. Ferrante. Yes, Ferrante. Um, so I read it, my brilliant friend, and then there's an article in the Paris Review about. Uh, I think it's an interview talking about um the fact that she uses a pseudonym and but then it's really weird because like it's a pseudonym but then there are characters in her books named elena named like her pseudonymous name and so there are these three layers that you're thinking about like the real person her identity as the author and then this identity of the character um but i i I think that in a in a different world where i didn't have to um where I didn't have to make money. I think that it would be really interesting having like an author identity. Mm. Um, Almost as a kind of like intellectual experiment or artistic experiment. Yeah. Have you read um, Tried As If Already Dead by Kate Zambrino? No. In her book, she talks about having a friend who is running an experiment of writing under like a pseudonym but then also she's an author with her own name mm. and like the difference between like how she can write how she feels like she can write and the kind of experience writing has depending on who she's writing under so i think that would be an interesting read based off of that yeah well, uh say that again to write as if already dead by kate zambrino i feel like i've heard of this yeah already hmm. Didn't Zambrino come and read at our school or something? I don't think she came to our school, but he made a Greg presence. really liked her, so I think that we read her. Right. He was... Right, right, right. And just to give some, some backstory, uh, me and Tori did our master's together. Mm. We were in Orono, uh, Orono, Maine. And um, we, I guess you could say, specialized in fiction writing. It was a, it was like an English literature, English in general uh, degree. But we had a very vague uh, specialization mm. where we took a workshop every semester, basically, and then uh, and then did a thesis at the end of the of the program. Mm. So that was about that was about yeah. Did you guys, did, were you guys attached then as friends? 
we were friends uh i think i think that we ended i think that we ended up hanging we've hung out more after the program mm. and I think so. yeah. during yeah um there were, few, there were a few parties at tori's apartment um which were always fun she was like the apartment you were the only one with like a proper apartment for such an event so i think that's why uh i think that's why we did it and uh and it was a nice place um yeah. and then afterwards we very we briefly had a writing group with one of our other friends so we had like a three-person writing group which um disbanded i guess because we had stuff going on um and uh, that was uh, that was always really fun and so um every once in a while usually it's me i'll just send something to tori to read and she'll give me lovely feedback on it and uh and that's been very very nice and uh uplifting for me mm -hmm. um and here we are yeah we were also briefly married kyle likes to leave that out oh, yeah i i thought about making a joke about that but i couldn't i can never i can never work that into conversation it was it was one evening. <laughs> oh, geez. Ceremony and everything? Uh, as unofficial yeah. a ceremony, I think you could have. Okay. I think it was, yeah. I think really? we were in a hallway. In that apartment? Yeah, yeah we were in that apartment. In that apartment, yeah. in a hallway. Our boyfriend was in so we uh, lend some legitimacy, I guess. <laughs> Nat, 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 who is now her husband in real life, you know? Yeah, that was more of a ceremony. <laughs> Did you feel like you were practicing in that time with Kyle in preparation for actually being married? Or was it more? Uh, mm -hmm. I think that I learned everything I needed to know about marriage in that evening. Um, in evening you were like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. ready. Oh. In a rush. Yeah. <laughs> how, has, uh, how has married life been for you, Tori? Exactly the same as non-married life. Mm. Okay. Which is good because I didn't want it to change. So. Mm. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, you had a you you did have a proper ceremony though. You know, I I, I saw some pictures. Yeah, we had a ceremony and our reception at the same place, which was a location where astronauts used to train, um, and mm. then they don't train there anymore. They turned it into a wedding venue, and you could take pictures in like the centrifuge that goes in circles, so they can like get used to that. We took pictures in that. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was it was a really cool venue. Yeah. Was it operational this thing this like no, not yeah. No. It has all like the hardware still, but it's just like to look at. You can't it won't do it. Yeah. Is it the one with the arm that yes. swings around in a circle and they can like sit in the chair and get used to G-force? Yeah. It's really white still? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Imagine coming in and out of it multiple times in a wedding. Yeah, that didn't seem, mm -hmm. I, I can't like, it looks vacuous and huge when you like understand what it is as a space, but to get in there, I imagine it's probably not a, yeah. Yeah, it, it was hard. When I had to go back in, I was like, I, I don't want to, <laughs> but I did, so. <laughs> well, congratulations oh, on being married and on the marriage oh. life maintaining uh, its consistency. Yes, yes, that was very nice. I feel like sometimes people get married to uh, change their life, and I was like, I would like exactly the opposite. I mm -hmm. like my life. That's why I'd like to get the government involved. 
<laughs> my grandma was a marriage counselor. She and her husband, my grandpa, um, and uh, she, they they did it for their church. But um, they would always uh, they would always talk to young couples, and and a lot of the young couples were not set up for marriage. In fact, it didn't have anything to do with their youth. Some of them were middle aged couples who were having problems, but. Uh, one of the things that she said to one uh, Venezuelan lady who uh, came in and was getting married to her husband, who was a very rich Aspen man, uh, is that everything about you are seeing the best version of the person that you will see right now. Nothing about them will change. Everything will only grow more exaggerated in the ways that you already mm -hmm. anticipate them. The problems mm -hmm. will show themselves as deeper uh, and the, the qualities will probably uh, reduce in exposure but increase in quantity of times that you get a chance to see it. Um, which mm -hmm. I'm pleased to say similarly, being married myself uh, has also been the case. So uh, yeah, yeah, grandma, grandma was right. Grandma's usually right. But, uh, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I I really like that that idea. For some reason I just pictured like um you ever seen Uncut Gems? I've not the movie. Yet. Um well uh, I'm picturing like a crystal or a gem as being like, you know, your object of affection or your significant other. Mm. And like married life or spending the rest of your life with somebody is like the action of just getting like closer and closer to this thing but it's all already there like it's ne there's never going to be more of it or it's never going to change in substance and getting closer allows you to like you know you could draw some in you could draw your typical metaphors of like you see imperfections more closely and all of that, but then also there are things that you never saw before and uh, and could it could get more interesting or less interesting in some ways mm. uh, upon closer inspection. Um, but it, it, for some reason that kind of like, that soothes me, no, uh, that soothes me that idea that you've, every, everything that you're dealing with is already there. You can already see it. Mm. It's like you can apply that to a lot of things in life. Question on yeah. relationship story. Um, uh, you're kind of dancing around a couple uh, workshops, uh, whether an engagement with Kyle or this upcoming uh, transition to, I forget your friend's name already, friend's name, your Super Bowl friends. Yes, Holly and Morgan. Holly and Morgan. Um, uh, your work has a very personal nature to it and you uh, are we talk a lot about kind of like not necessarily our responsibility to an audience um, mm -hmm. but uh, the relationship of writer to the world around them whether that's um, as an employment or just as like somebody who translates the world or whatever um, you know how do you feel like your writing affects the relationships uh, that you have with the world around you? Um, do you feel like you share it with the world around you fully? Uh, what have you seen the outcome of your life so far as a writer um, in its effect with kind of that little sphere? That is a great question. Um, I feel like 
my writing usually gives me clarity on the world around me. And I think it's because I have a lot of thoughts at all times that I cannot make sense of until I'm writing and then they kind of slow down for me and make more sense and I can go back to them. I think not everyone in my life appreciates when I write about them. And I was talking to Kyle about this earlier. Um, I'm right now working on a manuscript that is very much so about people in my like day-to-day life and how not only like I see them and I feel about them, but also fictionalizing like their deaths and their sex lives and other parts of their lives that makes me very nervous for when they start to read them. But I think, and this is something that Kyle had mentioned earlier, that the medium of what we do kind of separates us from the specific person and beca- they become more fictionalized to us. Mm-hmm. And I think even in a lot of my stories and poems have to do about my mom's death. And I think even those are a fictionalized version of my mother, but it feels more real when I'm writing. And then when I read it, I'm like, that's not really my mom. That's not really like mm-hmm. always how I'm thinking about death. So everything feels almost like fiction after I write it. Mm. So it, provide some clarity but then i feel like i'm able to like move forward from that into the next thing and look at the next person the next experience um and i hope that answered your question i'm not sure Mm -hmm. yeah i i have a kind of follow-up like and this could be a question for anyone but does any uh, does anyone feel like after you after you write a story, you know, after you've created the words and put the phrases together and maybe worked through some things in the actual composition, does the thing itself as a story ever feel like it um, makes waves in the real world to you and in, in your lives, uh, whether it's through people reading your things or um, the fact of this piece existing? Does it ever kind of like come back for for good or for for evil to to affect you i i have an answer if uh, <laughs> yep. yeah yeah it, baby. we're here for it um i would say i feel like in a weird way it all comes back to haunt me not necessarily in a bad <laughs> haunting way but um the two things that really come to mind for me is one i was just talking to my mother-in-law and my father-in-law about my manus- my um, book that's coming out later this year in August or September. Mm-hmm. And I, there's not like explicit detail about them at all, but I write about like the experience of having a boyfriend and you're annoyed with him, so you're annoyed with his parents. And <laughs> there's a line in there like all dumb boyfriends have dumb parents or something like that. <laughs> and uh, my father-in-law was like, pretty much on page like on he was ready for it he was like yeah no that makes sense and my mother-in-law was like that doesn't make sense why would why would you write that so it was a very weird like i grew up with parents that were very open about talking about experiences and me writing and would always read what i was writing even if it was about them Mm. and kind of seeing that thrown back at me was like very weird because i was not prepared for it i was very shocked by her reaction to such to me like a throwaway line almost like mm. I, I wouldn't think twice about that if i were mm. the dumb parents in question <laughs> mm. um but on the other side of it i in this chapbook and also in my full-length collection coming out later i write a lot about my experience having an eating disorder and it's very weird 
making that public knowledge when for so long I was in denial about it, didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to talk about it. And now I go back and I read it and I see how like toxic my mindset was. And I feel like it affects relationships around me in the sense of so many people who didn't know I was dealing with that now know mm. and like mm. talk to me about it. And also one of my very good friends after this stuff started coming out has an eating disorder. And now it's very weird to engage with her mm. when she's going through something that I'm not as going through now, but there's like this past life of me that is living through that still. So it is a weird way to like na navigate that relationship now. Well, like that makes me, um, when you use the terminology of like the haunt uh, of coming back to haunt you, like I found that interesting because some of your stories could be kind of interpreted as like things in your life haunting you, uh, like whether it's like a refrigerator or, uh, you know, other random objects in your home or whatever. Um, and so the idea of one of these stories, like haunting you in real life is this weird, like meta multi-layered uh, conundrum that is kind of cool, but kind of cra crazy at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> And like, uh, and I I asked that question because um, I think that the more that I go further in my writing life, and the more that I put uh, published pieces out there, I start to discover the different layers of uh, effect or the different ways in which writing, when it is out in the world, affects your life, uh, your life, and other people's lives. You know. Yeah. Um, for, uh, j and just to take an example, um, we were talking earlier about how Tori, uh, like offered to pass on one of like my manuscript and it's, um, it's always when you have a piece that's out in the world and you, for whatever reason, you kind of think of it as being done. Like you think of it as just kind of being, you know, it's been published or whatever, or it's not been published and that's just it. Um, but then like, you know, somebody comes out of the blue and like tells you that they really liked it when they read it and they, you, you know, that they, that you should do something with it or that they passed it on to somebody and somebody else is reading it now. And um, it really, does kind of animate the idea that uh that the writing is beyond us you know that it is something else and that it has a life of its own mm. even though that is, sometimes that can be a kind of like cliche that we talk about i i do think it's true and that it, um even though it's not an animate object you know it's an object that has force and and creates waves mm. yeah world, you know it's really weird seeing what other people kind of cling to in like a writer's work because I feel like sometimes the things that people tell me they like are not the things that I liked. I was like, mm. and it's weird to see how people pick up on those things and what sticks out to people that are not the author. I feel like it's almost never the same story. Mm. Well, what do you like in your writing? <sighs> sometimes nothing. <laughs> um <laughs> usually something i guess um i think i like in my writing <laughs> repetition mm -hmm. i like 
to repeat things and I like reading things that are like continuously repeated. And I just really love a nice like sad moment. Mm. I don't know why, but like I like to read it. I like to write it and I like to read it again after that. Mm. That that explains like that that I feel like that fits so well with my idea of your writing where you 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 usually do short pieces uh, like sometimes they have a like an arc but some uh other times they're just kind of a little moment and it leaves you with something and that might be uh like a a feeling of sadness and then the rest of the page is white and we just kind of have to deal with it you know um that allows you to have that sad moment that you're talking about yeah. Mm. I also, I love to make my audience uncomfortable. Like when people are like, I was uncomfortable reading that. I'm like, that's good. Like mm. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> a piece of lip falling into my body as my body attempts to chew itself to pieces. Yeah. yeah there's plenty of discomfort. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, I was sitting on my little half couch, just kind of like, oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Uh, I don't feel that good right now. Um, and it's very, very clear that, uh, you know, you or your narrator didn't feel that good right now. Um, I think I'd like to, um, just since you brought up your mother's death and you brought up your eating disorder as two things, I think of those as reasonably viable topics if you're willing to talk about them a little bit. Um, yes, I'm pretty much an open book, so feel free. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. Uh, um, the, um, you know, both of those topics are on, like, full display. I read the your um, uh, chat book. Um, and, uh, and I guess one of the things that, just in the interest of kind of keeping it tight to this notion that you have of, like, a contained space, a, an, an uncomfortable space, a sad space, and Kyle's kind of experience with it being a moment as opposed to like a trajectory of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, one of the things that your narrator talks about quite a bit is this uh, a sense of like inescapability, um, uh, whether it's the the room with the red-eyed clock that seems split in two that kind of like can't be stepped beyond um, or this kind of probing question to the mother about like, am I, am I ever going to be able to think about anything else? Or is this kind of like my trap? Am I, am I stuck in my writing in my, um, in my mind? It seems like, you know, the, the, the inescapability exceeds the page. Um, And I think, like, uh, frankly, if you ever decide to get into horror writing, and I, I, excuse me if I haven't gone deep enough into your writing to find out that you are, in fact, writing a bunch of stories, mm-hmm. you know, horror stories. But, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, writing can help us escape things and writing, writing can get us to uh, a sense of catharsis. Do you find that you have written these little, you know, rooms um, and then yourself gone beyond them? Or does this, does your writing tend to like feel more like a sieve wherein everything is both the same um, here as well as elsewhere? I feel like I want it to help me move beyond it more than it does. 
Mm. I feel oftentimes after I've written something, I feel this relief and I feel like I have moved on to the next thing almost. And then I find myself continually coming back to the same kind of themes. Um, I think a lot of it for me, I have a semi-obsessive personality. I'm paranoid and obsessive about most things in my life. So I tend to kind of like fall down the rabbit hole of the same thing again and again. And I think a lot of that kind of ties directly into the idea of grief and the idea of having an eating disorder. Because once your mom's dead, she's not coming back. She's Mm going to just keep being dead. So all of the happy times in my life are still filled with sadness, even if I don't want them to be. At my wedding, we cried so much because my mom wasn't there. I got married with her wedding rings with my dad, cried about that. There was a seat left open for her. So even when I'm supposed to be happy and I want to be happy, I feel some sort of guilt and some sort of like reluctance to be able to do that completely. Mm. And I was reading an article a few years ago about recovering from like an eating disorder and how haunting that is. Because if you are an alcoholic, you can try to avoid places that like alcohol is in, but you can never stop avoiding food. You will always have to eat. So my problems with eating, even if I've moved past them very far, there will be random times where I'm like, I don't want to eat. Why would I eat? And it's just weird how I want to write myself out of grieving my mom, out of this eating disorder, but it's almost like I get out of one room of it and then I'm just into another room where there's still a dead mom, still an eating Mm. So Mm. I'm kind of writing myself out of it, but not in a real way where it's gone. It's just different. Mm. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, I suppose I I think that there's... Uh, like that, that sounds really difficult mostly. Um, and, uh, uh, as a, as somebody who uses his writing to get at his own, um, issues and circumstances, I think I can speak to the fact that like the bone that I'm chewing on is as impermeable as that, like it's, it's chipping at ice that seems to regrow through the night. Um, and, uh, uh, I guess from a readerly perspective and whether it's how you, um, how you ordered the work, um, or how, uh, or just how I was hoping to read it maybe with, of some sense of like, uh, to break free at some point, um, it did actually feel that as the poems went on. Um, in the collection, there was some degree of like, if not the, like, obviously this thing will never go away. As you said, that mom's still in the urn sitting on the shelf. Um, the body is still the body at the end of the day and, and the food must go into it. Um, but uh, how that stuff transmutes over time uh, can be lovely and can be really like, it can become just an object that's like, uh, you know, that sits in a distant past or sits in, sits in a sort of like a special place that you've become okay with um, yeah. as, as far as like there are new things that are growing around it, whatever that may be. And I think the work um, as uh, it, right around like when uh, there was this equation of death, I think it was where you started to kind of like, it was a sort of logical breakdown, but just this sort of, 
um, numberizing as you as you went down. It felt like from kind of that poem on, things really started to. I don't know if it was maybe the expansion of how long they got. You definitely broke out into free verse quite a bit more and started to sprawl across the page. Um, but also the uh, the the it seemed the the poet stepped outside the sort of like the mind space of being in that room right like those first 10 poems it's like it's like i'm in a mirror or i'm on the bed or i'm in my eyes or i'm in my skin and that was like there was nowhere else um and then it did feel like there was a sort of stepping out yeah i think that is a really good way to kind of Think about this chapbook, but also think about like the grieving process. Like you can be stuck for so long, but at some point you'll move forward in some sense, even if it's not gone. You can kind of step out of what it's like to just be like a girl with a dead mom, and you can just be like a girl again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we can let like kind of what Eric was saying. We can become like. Uh, a person who is viewing that person in the in the past or something like that. I think that's like my best idea of what recovery is, is suddenly looking around, realizing that you're a different person from what you once were and uh, you're doing different work and you're no longer, um, especially for me, it's like when I'm writing about things that are no longer you know, those old, uh, those old pains and those old wounds. And then I, and then I can kind of look at, I kind of observe myself through my work and I can, uh, be really comforted by the fact that it's like, okay, in my early twenties, I, I really was just could not stop writing about this particular wound that I had, but now I'm sitting down and I'm like pouring my heart out onto the page and it's something different. And, and, uh, and that's a nice, a nice way to view growth or to process growth. Hmm. So in comparison to writing this chat book, how are you finding exploring longer, you know, your, this next piece that you got the big piece coming out, um, uh, I, I didn't get a chance. I, you haven't shared it, I'm assuming. No, it. Um, I think you can find like an early version of it through the UMaine website because it was a right. thesis, and they like <laughs> electronically published those. Um, so there's an early version of it <laughs> on UMaine somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's looking at it. Yeah, we get like reports. I think it's just right. over a thousand people now have. Really? Oh yeah. wow! I, oh. I don't even. I haven't looked at my my view count on mine, uh, but that, you got yeah, I always look at I look at the map. It shows you a map of the world and who's accessing these things. Yeah, and that's that's so trippy because you're like, why is somebody in Africa looking at my thesis? I'm not really sure. Yeah, and the internet's so weird because then like anyone can read it. It's not just like. Yeah. Like what if this what if this book becomes uh, like famous, Tori, and people are just digging up this old this old version of it, you know? And they're just like that. That would be this juicy bit of author gossip with the thesis introduction too, like the critical, <laughs> right? Oh, the critical introduction, getting <laughs> yeah. uh, a window. Can you give me Sorry. a little taste of what the uh, what the book is? What it's what it's doing? Yeah, so it's going to be a shock. It's called My Haunted Home. So <laughs> it is. <laughs> Great. 
It is indeed about my mother's death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it's a collection of short stories. So the narrator from Workshop, from what I've heard, sometimes the narrator feels the same. Sometimes they feel pretty different. Mm. I think in some of the stories, the narrator feels the same as in other stories and like in the same kind of a universe. But the stories all feel very separate to me still at the same time. Mm. Um, but it kind of goes between losing a mother specifically and like being a daughter and that like female relationship that you lose. And it also talks about having an eating disorder and more so just like having to live in a body like when it's not really that fun most of the time, especially like just the amount of pressure that can be on a body to perform bodily things how they're supposed to mm. um, has always been very weird to me. I have, I've had when I started, I guess, having an eating disorder, I was pretty young. But then also after that, while I was still kind of in the midst of it, I used to be a runner and I cannot run anymore because I have premature arthritis in both of my knees and patellofemoral syndrome. So my knees don't want to be knees. My body doesn't want to be a body. So it's talks a lot about like wanting to do something that you like can't do. Mm. Um, and I would say those that's mainly what it kind of deals with. There's some hints of like romance and romantic love towards the end of <laughs> the collection. Um, <laughs> And I think it kind of wants to work almost the same way as the chapbook to dive deep into the grief in the beginning and then show ways that you can kind of work yourself out of it, even though you'll still have it. Hmm. And was this um, composed largely before the poems of the chapbook or were they kind of like all in, all in the same soup? I. So the chapbook poems, it's like kind of half from my undergrad career and then half from my graduate career. So the ones that are from the graduate side of it were pretty much written like simultaneously as my short story collection. Um, besides this, some of them are from earlier. I think the the ones that are mainly like stuck in a bedroom were very much so written when I was stuck in my dorm and like didn't, mm -hmm. I moved across states to come to school so I didn't like have any friends built in so it felt very isolating for me. and then I think going I think the grad school process kind of broke me out of that and I started becoming friends with people who were also not from Maine or mm. people who also felt like isolated from people that they knew and I think that kind of helped me break out of that like personally but also in the chapbook it helped me write poems that allowed the reader hopefully to feel like broken out of that room that they're stuck in at the beginning. Mm. I have a question about, like, you know, author inspirations, unless you have something else, Eric, that you wanted to ask. Uh, I just want to hear a read at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th this this can be my last question. I, I, um, I've had this thought before that um, there's plenty of writing on grief and, and stories about grief and, and literature. Uh, it's, you know by the time I feel like by the time most of us experience grief in life, we've already read stories about people dealing with it. Um, however, there's not nearly as much literature on eating disorders. Um, mm -hmm. And may chalk that up to any number of things. Um, I think that it's just kind of that term is just kind of coming into existence relatively in, in uh, the world. And so um, I was wondering if you have any like suggestions or things that you have 
have read or uh, if any in terms of like literature to um for like maybe not that people would turn to in that situation but if you wanted to explore that topic through writing if you have any suggestions oh that is a tough one so i have read writing about um eating disorders both like nonfiction and fiction and they almost always are become very triggering to the sense of where they're talking about having an eating disorder and I have now been eating regularly and proudly for years, which is thumbs up. But I'll start reading a story about it. I'll be like, that sounds like a great idea. Like, wow, I'd love to stop eating again. And I think it's such a slippery slope with something like that because I feel far from it. But if I read some of the books that I would have read before, I can see how easy it is when you're in that mind space to find something talking about it. Mm. And even if like, I think the poems that I've written about having an eating disorder don't sound, don't make it sound great. But I think when you're in that mind state and you're like, oh, they're doing it, but they're also publishing this. So you can have an eating disorder and Mm. do things. And Mm. I think it almost like unintentionally will naturally kind of glamorize having an eating disorder. And I think some of that goes along with how society is structured and eating disorder bad, but oftentimes looked at as good if you really skinny because society does not like fat bodied people. So it's it's hard because I've enjoyed the fiction that I've read about having an eating disorder, but I don't think I would recommend anyone having an eating disorder to mm. read fiction about having an eating disorder. Mm. Mm. That, that makes a lot of sense to me because usually in, in this kind of subcategory of fiction about eating disorders, normally the, the MO would be to like get inside their head and sympathize with them. And yeah. so na- there's a there's a fine line with as you said glamorizing the situation, you know. Um and that I can I can definitely see how that would be triggering and it's so it's so um it's hard to find the space to uh, space of literature that you think might actually be helpful or interesting to somebody who's struggling through it. Mm. You know, yeah. Eating disorders, last time I looked, so I like if this statistic has changed, it has probably been like a couple years since I've looked at this, but eating disorders have the highest death rate among mental illnesses. And I think, and I don't do this in my poetry, but I think if you are writing a story about an eating disorder or making a movie about somebody eating disorder, the person who has the eating disorder has to die for it to be realistic or actually have an impact that is not glamorous. Mm. Mm. And mm-hmm. so rarely do people want to do that because they want to show you can recover and like have a good life. But at least when I was in the throes of having an eating disorder, if I read that they did things after that, I assumed I could do it mm-hmm. with an eating disorder. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does immediately strike home when you say that. It's just like, oh, well, yeah, of course that would absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it leads me to like go to the end of that story and be incredibly saddened at some of the like YouTube circumstances. I know that there's a, a number of uh, mostly young women online who people are watching them struggle with eating. Uh, and you can read the comment sections of just like, you're killing yourself on TV, you know, don't come here, don't support this, all this, this sort of like uh, almost the mental, um, the, the grappling that we do internally when when confronted with that uh, being done in a in a public forum 
uh, between yeah. different people with different ideas at different times. Um, uh, it's, I think, uh, to say it's an un- underserved and a fairly new thing is is right. Um, I think to uh, underserved things, uh, women's relationships and women's issues in general, um, uh, especially over the course of like reading and and going through media of the past. You mentioned uh, your relationship with your mom, um, specifically kind of exploring like what you feel you've lost um, as a woman to woman relationship. Um, I'd be curious just as somebody who is not a woman and who has never had a woman to woman relationship, you know, what is that? What, what is it that, um, you feel or that your writing is kind of getting, getting at as, as a missing thing now? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me is almost that like bodily experience of being in what like society defines as like a womanly body or like a feminine body. And my dad does not understand what that means. So the kind of like society eye on women is different than it is on men. And I think my mom understood that in a very specific way and not the most healthy way, um, which I am now writing about and trying to understand. (laughs) Um, But I think it's something that like, I just can't talk to my dad about in the same way. I think a lot of it is also she my mom died when i was 16 so still very much a teenager very much in the growing pains of like what it's like to be a teenager and it was hard to kind of lose the one kind of female role model that i trusted at that time and i think it affects a lot of the ways i think about how my body works but also how i'm supposed to act in society Hmm. it's hard for me to visualize what it looks like to be an adult woman when my mom died young and I was young when she died. Mm. Um, Thankfully, my dad was very good with like tampons and periods. So that was not too much of an issue. (laughs) But it's still hard because he'll never like understand. Like if my sister and I have cramps, he's just like, they can't be bad, but they can be like (laughs) really bad sometimes. So, (laughs) And two, I think as, as men, we tend to, we only have access to that physical side of things. So even if we yeah. can sympathize and bring you a hot water, uh, wiggly jiggly rubber thing, um, mm-hmm. or uh, or ice cream or whatever it is that makes you feel a little bit better, um, I think too. Like uh, one of the things that uh, Alyssa's my wife. She's uh, in the other room sleeping. Um, one of the things that I get confronted with is that as as close as I can be to her and as much as I can care for her, um, there are relationships that she has with women that reach a different thing um, and that like solve her in a different way than I ever can. And some of that is just me being a dumb ox sometimes, but other times it feels like there's actually like inaccessible elements of what it means to be a woman. Um, as you're saying, like, you how it how you comport yourself um how you're expected to be what the pressures on you are um whether physical or um responsibilities you know she talks a lot about this caring thing that women are expected you know to be and when when you're not that um or when why men aren't that or if they are that um all these sort of questions that um often gets reduced, especially in 
if you're watching the movies, which is where a lot of us learn how to be what we are, um, get reduced to like, oh, it's it's that time of the month. And, you know, here here comes grumpy grumps, you know, and that's like what we're expected to, you know, uh, there yeah. should be so much more. Mm. Yeah, it's also so weird because a lot of the focus on like menstruation is on like your actual period, like when you are bleeding, but your hormones are changing throughout that month too. So it's Mm. a much different cycle than like what men are on. I read something that I think, so women are on like a 28 day cycle and men are on like a one day cycle. Like the hormones change more rapidly in men from what I was reading, I believe. Yeah. Um, And I think it's just such a, a weird experience to know that your hormones are changing the whole time, but a lot of the world will not acknowledge that that is happening. So it's <laughs> hard right. then to regulate that. Um, yeah, I think that just goes into like the politics of having like a feminine body or being somebody who has like female or reproductive parts and the amount that goes into trying to police those hmm. um, and not understanding them for a lot of the people in the world. Yeah. Uh, just drawing some literary connections. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that there's tons of great literature that talks about like policing women's bodies and everything, but something a little bit more fantastical is, um, Ursula K. Le Guin has this book called the left hand of darkness, uh, which kind of, I forget what the intellectual, like, um, experiment originally was, but she tells the story of a society of, um, people who are like, on a hormone cycle and they are neutral gender most of the month but then a time of the month comes around where they essentially go into heat and some of them take the female role and some of them take the male role and so it's you know for some uh it's a fun way to experiment with those ideas and how gender um is addressed by society and politics um, it's a great book. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really cool. That's oh, amazing. All set, all set on an ice world. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, right. no, you're good. You're good. Yeah. You gotta love an ice world, yeah, right? It's, yeah. it's a classic. Have either of you read The Book of X by Sarah Rose Etter? Mm-hmm. I have. I think that deals with, like, very differently than the book that you're describing, but in a similar kind mm-hmm. of way, like having like a feminine body and what that means um i get a lot of like eating disorder vibes from it too even though it's not talking about an eating disorder but it has like that body dysmorphia kind of feeling to it i I really like how uh so uh, eric in in one sentence this book is about a girl who has a knot in her body like where her stomach is her body is just in a knot oh and um, and it's just as weird as it sounds. Um, and I think that, and it's not, it's not complicated. It's not taught, like you just accept the fact that this is a thing that exists. Um, and her mother has it as well. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great way to address things like body dysmorphia and, uh, and kind of, yeah, you do get the eating disorder vibe because it is that particular part of the body and and all of that um and uh it's a great way to address that but not actually go into uh you know scenes that 
might be triggering to people or might be drawing like these direct connections. And I bet somebody could read that story and make the comparison between uh, any number of things that exist on their own body that they find uh, like kind of grotesquely unique, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that might be... Experiment. Oh, I'm sorry to make No, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that might be the answer to the earlier question about like, the best way to write about an eating disorder is probably not an eating disorder, but to make struggling with that without glamorizing it in the same kind of way. Right. And kind of going outside the box a little bit to, to get at that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself drifting towards uh, the fantastical or is, are you pretty seated in the realist? I would say it kind of, I find myself drifting towards like surrealism a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, and wanting to write myself into a space close to Sarah Rosetter. Um, I think a lot of it is because I don't like to think about my body as a real body, but I can kind of make it something else in those kind of stories where it can be a body, but can also like be a knot in that case. Mm. Mm-hmm. I am remembering like one of the images that really struck with me, stuck with me was actually of the hair was the feeling of like, it, it, there, there's a, there's kind of, a, and again, this is mostly based on the chat book, but um, there's this sensation of like the hair becoming equal to the body and sort of absorbing it. And then I think it's from the skin poem. The skin poem really settled on me pretty hard um, of the skin sort of like eating the body or con- or objectifying the body, I think was the word you use. It was like the skin objectifies the body within um, like almost like the, it was like a, a like a saran wrap wrapping and re-identifying all the things inside of it. Um, so your surrealism note uh, or an irrealism, uh, I think is, is right on. And it seems too that, that, um, just drawing back to your notion of repetition too, um, you have a regular and very interesting study of the words that you're using on the next line, like a part becomes a part. Uh, there's a there's a sort of like shifting and transforming of the line, uh, each one to the next, um, that I think also lends to that desire you have to kind of like quirk your world into this sort of like uh, everything feels quite attenuated. The bodies are sort of these like eerie things moving through a. a, a moving through space and being themselves, being able to eat and absorb themselves. So, um, fair, fair. Hmm. Would you be willing to, we, um, because of, uh, my condensation of the timeline, um, would you be willing to read a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just start. Let me pull it up real quick. You, uh, Kyle sent over the, uh, um, Send over a document. Yeah. I want to have that so I can read along. I've practiced this a few times. I keep messing up on words in the first poem, so I'm really hoping it goes better now. <laughs> I, uh, I just started reading my audiobook aloud 
um, into this microphone and it is horrifying uh, how really? o- often I screw it up. So um, you are in forgiving territory. Uh, but Perfect. I'm ready when you are. All right. <clears throat> Moms die. Parents are friends who gave birth to us, which is a little confusing when they try to tell you what to do. When they stop telling us, when they stop being, when they tell you to eat, to do, to be, when they stop being the person, a person, a thing that has breath, then they are living in my mind, my mind, my memories. Not only in memories, but in practicality. Don't cry, don't cry, because how could I when it is all a mistake, and maybe you are still alive? How could the tears fall when it is all a dream, when I just keep sleeping? When you keep sleeping, I also keep sleeping, forever. What a girl. What a girl, a human, tall thing. What a piece of bread, torn, pulled, ripped from the rest, crumbs. What a sad sock, a sad thing, dropping, lost, no match, no pair. What a spoon, too soft, scared, wanting to be scary. What a mess, a pile of laundry untended. What a pile of bones and skin, hung out to dry with the laundry, What a broken bottle. Family. My cat died today. Or my family cat, I should say. The last piece of my mother who died six years ago, besides her children, besides me and my siblings, besides her lover, besides us, it was just that cat who tried so hard. A dog disease, they said. And a cat. Who knew? I look at dogs and I hate them all now. Why would you do this to him? My family cat died today. My sister watched him die alone in a room with strangers. Only one person because the world is also dying. My family cat died, we put him down. But I am sitting here thinking about how lucky, lucky, lucky I am. It wasn't my personal cat. The cat I have grown a part of, not a shared cat or a shared sadness, but the selfish happiness of my own pet being alive. I sit here looking at her face, small, precious, and I don't even have to think of his. Fragile, thin, his his muscles had worn away from the damned dog disease. My family cat died died after years and years and years of having him, he died. I cried watching my sister cry, thinking of what she lost. The other family cat had already died, and it cost almost $900 to put her down and less than $400 to put him down. Different states, but the prices are insane. The family cats are dead, and we have all moved to other places, and now it seems the family is dead. Hmm. Tori, one of the things that we like to do is, um, uh, especially with shorter pieces, get a chance to hear it from other people too. And given the fact that uh, you've done those lovely readings for us, we would love to read them back to you uh, just just so you can hear them uh yourself um but also so that there's some there seems to be something that we gain from reading uh reading it ourselves as well uh my thought kyle is that one of the two of us could read the two shorters and then the other one could read the longer okay yeah um you want to start and i can tackle family at the end sure sounds good moms die 
parents are friends who give birth to us, which is a little confusing when they try to tell you what to do. When they stop telling us, when they stop being, when they tell you to eat, to do, to be, when they stop being the person, a person, a thing that has breath, then they are living in my mind, my mind, my memories. Not only in memory, but in practicality. Don't cry. Don't cry because how could I when it's all a mistake and maybe you're still alive? How could the tears fall when it's all a dream? When I just keep sleeping. When you keep sleeping, I also keep sleeping. Forever. What a girl. What a girl, a human, tall thing. What a piece of bread, torn, pulled, ripped from the rest, crumbs. What a sad sock, a sad thing, dropping, lost, no match, no pair. What a spoon, too soft, scared, wanting to be Gary, what a mess, a pile of laundry untended, what a pile of bones and skin hung out to dry with the laundry, what a broken bottle. Family. Cat died today. My family cat, I should say last piece of my mother who died six years ago besides her children besides me and my siblings besides her lover besides us it was just this last cat who tried so hard dog disease they said and a cat no look at dogs and i hate them all now why would you do this to him my family cat died today my sister watched him die alone in a room with strangers only one person because the world is also dying my family cat died we put him down but i am sitting here thinking about how lucky 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 i am it wasn't my personal cat the cat i've grown a part of not a shared cat or a shared sadness but the selfish happiness of my own pet being alive i sit here looking at her face small precious and I don't even have to think of his fragile, thin. His muscles had worn away from the damn dog disease. My family cat died after years and years and years of having him. He died. I cried watching my sister cry, thinking of what she lost. The other family cat had already died, and it cost him almost nine hundred cost almost nine hundred dollars to put her down, and less than four to put him down. Different states, but the prices are insane. The family cats are dead, and we all have moved to other places, and now it seems the family is dead. Mm. I like him so much more when you read. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how I feel about my own work as well. <laughs> I feel too. It's yeah. so interesting because like I hear it and like the different emphasis makes me like re-realize re what I was trying to say. And it like I understand it in a very different way than when I'm reading it in a cooler way. I, think. Mm -hmm. I liked it. 
Cool. I, I enjoyed hearing you read because like there were certain moments, there was a moment in the first poem where the structure of the sentence, mm. it begins to break down in the sentence, like the traditional structure of a sentence begins to break down. And um, it was really interesting just seeing how you handled that, like the cadence of that sentence. And um, it's, it's, always, it's always revealing to, revealing of something to hear how an author uh particularly a poet um interprets that breakdown um and in what directions they take it you know yeah yeah i think that's my favorite thing about like going to readings in general like reading a story yourself is so different than hearing it and like especially when the author is it's not almost like guiding your attention but it just like is such a different experience and a different realization of what was important to them rather than like me as the reader. Hmm. And what, what for you, like reading these poems, I'm struck with like, what is the difference for you between, you know, your more uh, lyrical like prose and, and this, like, what is the, does the line break hold something important for you or powerful for you? I think, yes. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it, because some of my, like, prose could be categorized as poetry sometimes, I think, like, some of it, not all of it, but I think the biggest thing for me is the use of, like, blank space in poetry that feels much more forgiving than in prose. Hmm. Um, I think even in family, which is, like, longer and can read a bit more prose-like the way that i'm able to almost have a conversation with myself on the page and the use of blank space allows me to renegotiate like the meaning of the story or the meaning i'm trying to construct using like the format of the page hmm. it, re it really did something for me when um we kind of switch to the other side of the page and get the contrary argument uh from the same voice and yet kind of a, like a metaphorical left brain right brain uh yeah. dispute you know that was that did something for me in reading it even the first time i'm glad there's something very um uh nursery rhyme to uh and I, or perhaps lullaby is more accurate but this sort of um uh, i'm looking at mom's die and just kind of going back over some of the stuff that we've said that you've said about uh um relationship and kind of trying to establish a, a mental person that doesn't exist anymore and also like doesn't when you leave her equal everything that you tried to put down um uh you know, don't cry, don't cry, because how could I when it's all a mistake and maybe you're still alive? Like there's a lot of, and I think Kyle spoke about lyrical prose. Um, there is a lot of this, and some of it's your repetition, some of it's um, kind of the, the, it's not a forward motion. Like one doesn't feel like the cat is dead, right and and that is all that will happen here is it has already died um uh, at, same with this sort of 
um, mulling over parenthood and the and the uh, uh, what they are to us and what they mean to us. Um, uh, there's a uh, there's a, a warmth that the writer holds my readerly mind in uh, in order to to soften the the blow in some way. And it's interesting that I'm interested in the pieces that you picked because I think they're great choices. Um, and they, they are frankly a little more forgiving than much of the rest of the chat book. Um, they have that, the sort of, um, uh, the, I mean, it's no wonder that I'm thinking lullaby because at the end we're sleeping forever, but, um, there mm-hmm. is that sort of like, you know, cradle rocking comfort, of like uh here's here's either the logic of like the cat is dead and it seems that this is happening to uh you know i'll keep sleeping forever blah 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 um uh these feel like there there are elements to other moments in the chapbook where things feel more jagged as if there was a lot more pain happening at that moment. And I think yeah. some of what these bring out is like your qualities of tranquility, even if that tranquility seems brought on in some way by like a numbness, like the boozy numbness that you bring out in the drug poem or, um, or, but more, it's more like just the, the, the beating of grief, just this sort of like, I, I'm unsure what to do anymore. So may I just like step out and be nothing like would that yeah. be would that be an acceptable thing right now because i would rather feel that than all of this at once yeah i do also yeah. think oh sorry go ahead go ahead no no go ahead you i do think that this what a girl poem was probably my favorite poem from the whole chapbook too um strange and but i think this is mostly a taste thing so i try not to bring that to bear too much on on response but like for me, Eric, um, I like the the when language starts to break down, like Kyle said, but also sort of the weirdness of this, the willingness that this poem had to um, not necessarily give its topic full court. Um, instead, we have these incredibly abbreviated, what a spoon, what a sad sock, what a mess, what a pile of bones, which all seem these sort of like reinterpretations of perhaps me or of perhaps like whether it's poet, whether it's what the poet is studying. It's it's the same thing over and over again, but never once staying really long enough for us to feel as though like the uh, the metaphor that is being used is being exploited in any way. Um, it's just exploring one simple little dingle of that, of that element. What a mess, a pile of laundry untended, like striking images, easy images to have access to images that are also full of freight, right? Like if the laundry is untended, it means many things more than just the laundry is untended if left alone in that way. Um, and so to do that one and then to have that final line just what a broken bottle without exploration without explanation and to also have as you were talking about this big white space that we just drop out into to do our own version of that um what you'd been doing for us already which was what a duh what a duh what a broken bottle we have to do our own like ja 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 and that leaves us kind of like 
um, it's it's a mixture of of sadness, pity, wanting to pick up and put back together um, a um, maybe some of this sort of lullaby effect that we want to have our own hands capable of doing, which is like if I clutch the pieces of this glass bottle and just grip it in my in my fingers, will it become a new shape in some way? Um, uh, there is definitely like uh, in your work the the feeling that I had the whole time at first was just like being a part of being broken and being mm -hmm. like left on the ground or standing in front of the mirror with this sort of feeling of melting or eating the self or or uh, like kind of like unsteady steadiness and inability to escape to like wanting to hold myself and being learning how to hold myself as well uh, of of um uh, developing both a, a bit of a tougher skin, you know, like some of the, some of the response to this stuff was not, um, was not like, I'm all right. It yeah. was more like, I'm, I, I just have to keep going. I still am. I still am here with these, with this broken bottle. Um, and, and then also like, a, a, not cynicism exactly, but like sharp realism which can tip into cynicism fairly easily when you get that annoying dude in the room who's like always pointing out your exaggerated comments or like your optimism and saying, well, that's not how it is. It's more of just this like the cat is a cat. And I, uh, you know, the mother was six, the mother was two, the mother was, you know, this sort of like a logical progression that allows the mind to at least like identify, if not come in accordance with. I love hearing that. I feel like it's such a poetic review of my poetry, which makes <laughs> me feel better about my poetry because I get nervous <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, but I, I really like that concept of like feeling like numbness in some of the poems and like then the like reconstruction in other ways. And I, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to think about that now the next time I read this. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. This was The Nudge, 